Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 62 of the No Encore Music Podcast. A strange episode this week as neither Craig nor Colin Regan are in the building. However, I do welcome back two excellent former guests of the show. To my left, Selena Murphy of the Irish Daily Star and Buzz.ie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back in, especially at social notes. I really appreciate it. No worries. Also joining us is Daily Mail Hitman. <laughs> don't hold it against him. Why didn't I get like a zippy intro? Because you don't write for the worst <laughs> newspaper in the world, whereas George Morahan does. It's the Irish Daily Mail, and I write for Extra.ie specifically, so don't throw me in with the worst of them. <laughs> okay, you're not as bad as far as that kind of thing goes. But uh, thank you both for coming in. No problem. Cullum is off to Norway, although I have pinned him down for a pre-record on this week's listening guide. I'm not going to say who it is, although if you've seen the episode online anywhere, either the image or even looked at the show notes, you'll know who it is. But a bit of mystery for those who haven't. We'll get there towards the end of the episode. We'll also be reviewing the new album from Linkin Park, a very long-awaited return from those boys. Lots of shaking heads in the studio right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the big thing uh, is that like we people are probably wondering after last week's show how we feel about the return of Twin Peaks because we've teased it, we've talked about it. It's a pretty big deal and an especially big deal to Craig Patrick. And even though he couldn't be here, he has sent, uh, I guess, what would you call it, amusing or two from the Black Lodge itself. Knew you are going to say it. Of course I was. <laughs> Here's Craig. It feels like I'm having the most beautiful dream and the most terrible nightmare all at once. But enough about no encore. Wah, 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 wah. 
uh, Twin Peaks, The Return. I thought maybe two hours, like, solely concentrated on Lara Flynn Boyle was gonna be a bit much, but no, she really knocked it out of the park. Um, no, joking aside, it was phenomenal, wasn't it? I mean, it was frustrating, and it was weird, and I was, like, on the edge of my seat, and I didn't know what was happening, but it was also kind of, like, transcendent and amazing and everything I hoped for. Um, so yeah, I watched the first two hours. Obviously, then I had to watch the other two, and it's coming together really, really feckin' well. I don't want to say too much about it. Obviously, um, Chromatic Shadow, which has been out for about two years, I think, but it's now the sound of the summer. We're getting a David Lynch film every week for the entire summer. It's so good. Um, so the only other things I will say are James is still cool. James has always been cool. I also want to say Dougie Love (laughs) Wally Brando and Fix Your Hearts or Die Thank you Craig I appreciate it hopefully we can get you back and you'll be a bit more animated but uh, yeah uh, I have to agree with him I found myself absolutely mesmerised by the premiere I've also watched all four episodes there is a frustrating aspect to it because it is David Lynch with full creative control but there's something kind of very heartfelt about it and some kind of nice weird melancholy going on on the show itself and I found that at the end of the first episode when it played out with the musical number which seems to be what the show is doing and I think that that's a really kind of interesting touch because the music which was such a big factor of the original Twin Peaks in a very over-the-top fashion some characters have their own kind of signature cues they've kind of done away with that and in this one music has a much smaller role and the first episode when it closed with a chromatics track called Shadow which sounds like this I found myself to be absolutely just mesmerised and kind of taken to a strange place, and that's what Lynch can do. And in a further Twin Peaks-related update, I went to see Fire Walk With Me in the lighthouse, as I said I would, after I finished season two. And um, it was really, really bizarre, because at the start of the film, the credits played out. I hadn't seen it before, so the credits come on, and it's like a, a long credit crawl of all the actors in the movie. And the sound was insane. The sound was like the most distorted, like a MIDI machine on fire and exploding. Incredibly loud, really unsettling. And then I thought, oh, well, that's obviously part of the show. Like, it's obviously Lynch being Lynch, and he's (laughs) trying to unsettle you from the get-go. And then the first scene starts, and David Lynch's character, who's hard of hearing, is screaming, and it sounds like this kind of... (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, this is still going on. And it cuts to him over the phone with a guy, like a, a, a cop or a detective... And, he, uh, and the guy in like, Chris Isaac's character, and he actually like looks like he's having trouble hearing what's being said. He puts kind of like his hand up to his ear in a grimace, presses a button on his car for the aerial to go down. And I thought, oh, OK. And now the regular audio is going to come in. This is obviously part of the film. No, uh, film stops, lights come on, and a member of staff comes out and goes, sorry about that. Uh, we'll have to restart the film. And I was like, oh, <laughs> OK. So in a way, it was beautifully appropriate, but also probably really, really bad for my ears. I feel like there are so many people around the world watching Twin Peaks on legal download and like the picture just freezes and they're like, oh, I see what he's doing. 100%. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. 
any any craziness that would ensue, you would be able to somehow pass it off as, oh, David Lynch, such yeah. a genius. Absolutely. I'm sure of that. Like, There's nothing that he couldn't do that you wouldn't think, oh, that's, that's completely intentional. <laughs> there was also like a thing where, I mean, in Fire Walk With Me, there's a sequence, a long sequence in which characters are in this bar and the music is deliberately turned up quite loud. And I believe if you watch it on Blu-ray or as it's intended, you get subtitles. There was no subtitles at the cinema screening I went to. Nor were there any subtitles for people in the Red Room, apart from a couple of times when there were. And it felt like, well, this is definitely a mistake. But at the same time, it was totally like, we're all in this art house cinema appreciating this strange avant-garde art that we're trying to figure out ourselves. We're all in this together. No one complained. A room full of thinky face emojis. Yeah, it was kind of weird. But um, at the same time, um, there's no real easy way to kind of segue into our lead news story of the week. Obviously, No Encore is a light-hearted look at the world of music, and we have a bit of fun on this show. Unfortunately, our lead story this week is particularly grim and harrowing. Uh, we couldn't not mention it. The night that I was watching the Twin Peaks, I was kind of uh, on Twitter at one stage, and I saw that people were talking about a possible explosion at the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester. And as that story developed, you know, which obviously kind of slow going and the details were scarce and Twitter being Twitter, you weren't sure what was true and what wasn't. As it transpired, unfortunately, the, the worst was true. And there was a terrorist attack on the Manchester arena in which 22 people lost their lives and a further 59 or more were injured. And I mean... I don't really know what we can offer as a music podcast about this thing, other than to just condemn it in its like in the most extreme possible form. It's an absolutely horrific story. It's been genuinely sad and heartbreaking to read. Like it's like, like how do you make sense of this? It obviously has shades of what happened at the Bataclan in Paris a couple of years ago at the Eagles Death Metal concert, and it just reminds you that these are supposed to be safe spaces for people to go and have a good night out with their friends and with their family. Uh, Ariana Grande, of course, is a pop star, and she is targeted, or that's probably the wrong word to use. She is kind of her demographic would be younger people and girls. I mean, like this isn't like this attack is an attack on women. It is an attack on teenagers. It is an attack on children, and it is an attack on people who just wanted to have a good time. It's cowardice in its highest form, and it's genuinely heartbreaking. It's very, very hard to find positives amongst such a thing, but they are out there. And what I would say is that. To see the kind of outpouring of humanity that has come from this, and you saw on the night, you saw people who were offering their houses for people who needed it, people offering taxis and bus services to people to get them out of the city, uh, people queuing up around the corner and packing out blood donation clinics the following day. Like There are people trying to do great things and trying to kind of steer things back into the right course. Of course, there are also people who aren't. It's just the nature of the world. A lot of very uh, heartfelt pieces were written as well in the wake of this. Uh, Alexis Petretis wrote an amazing piece for The Guardian, which I'd recommend you check out. Uh, Shepa McKenna for Noisy, Emily Baker for The Pool, and no, uh, Nurudi and Chowdhury for Joe.co.uk all wrote really personal pieces, all of which you know were amazing pieces of journalism, of course, coming in the event of something that should never prompt it. It's still very hard to get your head around a few days later, a time of recording. And as I said, I just I felt that we should mention it. And I don't know, guys, it's just one of those things that I find really difficult to even process. Yeah, I mean, I guess like one of the best things about like being a person in the world, like especially in the West, is that you get to experience art and you get to like drink it all in when you're a teenager or even younger. And that's the thing that like everyone should be able to have they should be able to access that you know with some kind of safety and that's definitely been compromised this week yeah it was a really scary scary week to be reading the newspapers yeah i'd echo those sentiments i think how the music journalism community has 
related related to this tragedy is by figuring out what these what these kind of gigs mean to people and yeah those those pieces that kind of I don't know characterize these pop gigs as like a portal of adulthood for young people they really I think they struck the I don't know most true chord with me and it just makes you realize what this was an attack on and um yeah, it's very sad. I mean, it's not only an attack on leisure, but as you say, Dave, an attack on women, an attack on the LGBT community as well. And um, yeah, very distressing week. It's been horrible. And there's just no two ways of putting it, really. And it's the type of thing that you hope you can learn lessons from. I don't know what those lessons are. At the same time, it has been heartening to kind of see people holding Manchester up as a city of multiculturalism, a proud city of the arts as well, and effectively saying that this isn't going to stop us from having fun. It's not going to stop people from living their lives the way that they want to. I mean, terrorism is about fear. It is about spreading. It's a propaganda for fear, and, and it's to try and turn people against one another. And so, seeds of discord. And like you know, you hope for the most part that that won't happen. A lot of people seem to be very, very defiant and have made very public showings of the fact that they will not lie down in the face of this kind of thing. And you can just really. I mean, I don't want to say something as generic as thoughts and prayers go out, but you know, you, you do think about the families uh, of the victims and the victims themselves and you just hope people can rebuild from this it should never happen unfortunately it does uh, in terms of kind of musician reactions of course an awful lot of people have said very heartfelt things themselves uh, Morrissey didn't Morrissey put up a very bizarre post which I mean quite frankly read to me like thinly veiled Islamophobia and yeah I think he was thought he was being quite clever and vague mm. and was being incredibly obvious yeah it was kind of gross like I mean effectively all but linking the mayor of London City can to terror cells and you're just like what the fuck man I mean Morrissey is one of those figures in the world where you're like oh he's divisive and he's polarising and I, I, I like Morrissey's music I've seen him live a couple of times one of which was amazing one of which was one of the worst gigs I've ever been to you want more from that I mean, like especially if someone who as you say kind of holds himself up there as some kind of you know intelligent elder statesman to just I think I thought he made a show of himself I thought it was just ill-timed and misjudged in the extreme and unfortunately, he says a lot about him that I would hope isn't true, but possibly is. Uh, on the more surreal aspect of things, Brian McFadden from Westlife calling out ISIS for a street fight was amongst the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my entire life. So, yeah, a strange, strange week and one that we all hope to recover from. And normally when I move on to an- another news story, you know, I try and find some kind of wacky, tenuous, uh, funny link. But I don't have one in this situation because how could you possibly? Um, I, before I came out here to record the podcast, um, I saw a broken social scene performed in Manchester last night and they brought Johnny Marr on stage. So if you're looking for some good feeling from the Smiths contingent of old um check that clip out so yeah it's, it's nice to see you this week good at least one person is doing the right thing um uk festivals though i wonder if they're doing the right thing this is getting a lot of traction they're going to allow illegal drugs uh, to be tested at least six festivals will be doing this apparently this this was done before at a secret garden party i mean it's one of those headlines that you read and you're like, oh, what, they're going to allow like on-site drug taking? But no, it's actually a much more kind of uh, streamlined thing where if you go into a tent at one of these festivals, including Reading and Leeds this year, and bring in your drugs and just go, hey, guys, I want to see if this is safe or not, they will test it for you and then destroy it. So, I guess know. you're supposed to give them a sample. Yeah. <laughs> but like, what if you are taking a drug that doesn't lend itself to samples? Yeah, or even like, you know... I'd be the paranoid type, and I'm not a drug taker, so. But I'd be the paranoid type where I'd be like, "What if the rest of the drugs are, like, 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 like problematic? Oh, true, you yeah. got to test every one of them, <laughs> but then they destroy it. So like it somebody like, sprinkled some arsenic on just one section exactly, of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, like, I, like, I'd be like, you know, 
this could be anything. And I just I think it would raise all kinds of questions. Um, essentially, this is being done, you know, kind of with supervision of police and everything to ward off the possibility of further drug-related deaths because, I mean, it's one of those things that does happen. You don't often read about it as a headline a lot. I mean, like, I'm not saying that the news is buried or anything, but it does happen. Like, it happens at every festival, kind of, not festival, but it happens quite like, like, like it's, it's kind of one of those related risks. And young people die from, from drug overdoses at festivals. It's just, it's, it's, I think a lot of people are, are doing what they can to try and curb this. So, I mean... It's an interesting thing. Of course, it has also led to people being like, well, this is, you know, an outrage. But if anything, it seems quite, you know, mature, I suppose. It's quite a tame (laughs) measure, I think. And I also don't know how many people will avail of this service. Like, I I do think, you know, when you're at a festival with your friends and you're thinking, maybe I'll experiment with drugs today. Are you going to go, hold on, though. You know, I'm going to go across the field to a specialists tend to get it tested. I'm not sure how many people will take them up on the offer. You'll mm. probably have people as well thinking that it's an elaborate sting operation, like The Simpsons. When they're yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where it's like The I'm curtains would be lifted. <laughs> yeah. You're on some kind of horrible crime parents, game show. Yeah, your parents are there uh, along with the police. Um, Shaking their heads going, I'm so disappointed in <laughs> yeah. you. Festivals to me seem like that kind of portal to adulthood that we were talking about with uh, pop gigs earlier and um, kind of taking away the illicitness the feeling of being out on your own for the first time that kind of oh yes we're watching you don't worry you're being supervised that that just seems to be completely at odds with what i imagine festivals to be down in the way but yeah i suppose i mean festivals are kind of about losing yourself in the moment but again people overdo it like you know i think we've 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 been to so many festivals um like and we've you know for reviewing purposes and stuff and you kind of walk in on day one you're like oh, okay, that person's not going to last through the weekend, or at least not without some degree of difficulty. So maybe, like, I mean, it's, it's a step in the right direction. I do agree with those, you know, like, it, it might be a bit tame, and, you know, it's, it, it feels kind of like step one on yeah. as part of a, a ten-point plan, maybe, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, like, they, like they, the people behind it are claiming that there was some success, at least at Secret Garden Party, that, like, apparently at least 200 people, like, showed up and was like, cheers, thanks, no one got arrested, there was no sting operation, so... Um, in theory, it could be a, a great thing, you know, if it does add to safety for people who are using drugs at festivals um yeah maybe it's them kind of testing the waters and you know they're going to build on this yeah i'm glad they're taking a more tolerant approach anyway i mean it seems to me like drugs deaths are on the rise as far as you know at clubs at festivals and you see in london how many clubs have closed um due to drug related deaths or, or how much they're increasing security or surveillance i mean look at the fight for to keep fabric open earlier this year or was it late last year I don't know but anyway it seems like they're taking a different tack rather than just trying to close down the nightlife which is encouraging to me anyway I would be so tempted to rock in though with like a bag full of flour or oregano <laughs> yeah <laughs> and just can you just test this for me throw it down and then like act all like what like I got ripped like <laughs> Where's that guy gone? Uh, one festival, though, which I which won't be doing this because it won't be doing anything. Uh, the much maligned, much derided Fire Festival, which Craig and Cullum talked about a few weeks ago, which if you haven't heard of, was uh, Ja Rule and some 25-year-old entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs attempt at creating the ultimate luxury festival, which turned into an absolute disaster of epic proportions in which very, very rich, impressionable young folk were conned, essentially, into going to this what appeared to be like a war zone of a festival and none of the acts showed up. The whole thing should have been cancelled, but it wasn't. It's been a complete mess. It's back in the news, though, because to make matters worse, significantly worse, it's reportedly under investigation from the FBI, which is pretty fucking a high microscope. To That's a waste of resources. 
It seems like it, but I mean, like, it's it's such a weird, weird, weird thing. Like, like they're effectively alleging that, like, no, 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 this is so fraudulent, like, that their cybercrime unit has to get involved. Complex frauds and cybercrime unit, I should say. Because, uh, yeah, there's money to be made here from someone. And I don't know. I mean, like, if you look at some of the details of this festival, though, at one point, like, the website went down because its designer wasn't paid, you know, echoing the the pain of freelancers everywhere, I presume. And they advertised at one point that the, like, the, like, there was a private island that once belonged to the drug lord Pablo Escobar in which he could spend up to 400 grand to hang out on a palace there with four beds, eight VIP tickets, and dinner with one festival performer. Uh, someone apparently tried to buy this thing, which caused consternation because not only was there no palace, there was no island. The whole thing was just completely fabricated. The whole thing sounds like a complete insane ruse. But the guy behind it doubled down and was like, you know, no, 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 this is still going to be the greatest thing ever and we're going to do it again next year. Uh, I believe the quote at the time was, you know, fuck it, let's just do it, let's be legends. I, I can't get my head around Ooh. this. It seems like... What is this, Entourage? That's, yeah, I was about to say, it seems like the plot of a really bad episode of TV and I guess Entourage would be the thing, though. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hope everyone involved goes down. That's it sounds why. like they just kept messing up and every time, you know, the results were kind of screaming at them, okay, now's the time to pull the plug. They were like, no, no, keep going, keep keep pushing through. Like, I don't know this guy, um, Billy McFarland, mm. I, this entrepreneur who did it with Ja Rule, who I'm so disappointed in, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> given my love for his early naughties tunes. Um, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, Ja Rule probably doesn't have great managerial skills, let's face it. This guy's an entrepreneur of some sort. With a sketchy he's a rich, he's yeah. a rich kid. <laughs> he's a rich kid with like some sketchy business. Uh, oh, okay. Meetings. He's a Trumpian child. Um, yeah, someone somewhere needed to have cop on. There needed to be an Irish mammy there going, ah, oh, lads, like, come on. Did what are you feel, playing? Did you feel particularly personally betrayed by Ja Rule? Of course I always do. <laughs> I always do. Well, I'm betrayed that he went away for so long. And now I'm betrayed that he came back. I have one question. When is Ashanti going to speak out about this? Well, she was in Dublin recently, I believe. She was? Yeah. What? She was brought over for some for some kind of like strange, I don't know. It was some... a secret gig. I was sick yeah. when I saw it on social media. I was like, why was I not informed? I saw it after the fact. And like even a secret gig ago, I was like, that really was secret. I was like, I had no clue about this. I had heard that it was going to be uh, like quote unquote major hip hop star, but that could really mean anything. So Brands we... often trot out that line and it's someone you've never heard of you didn't, so you didn't try and d- delve deeper to take the point no i just assumed oh i'm not going to care about this and how wrong i was yeah, jesus christ um no it's a it's a very very weird one and uh i i, I tell you this though if anyone from fire festival is listening to the show and you do in fact go ahead properly next year i'm willing to break my festival hiatus if i get flown out first class no you're not and i'll do <laughs> <laughs> um there is actually like go on well, I'm just saying I'm cheaper than Bella Hadid, but I have way fewer followers, so if you want to <laughs> call on me to promote it, that's fine. Forbidden Fruit is coming up, and I am looking to go to the, the, the Bonnie Iver curated day on that one. But, uh, people are already kind of getting in my face and being all like, well, that's you breaking your festival hiatus, but I maintain that it isn't, because it's one day of a three-day festival, and it's very specifically curated to be its own individual thing. Yeah. Yes, this is me clinging to a technicality. Why you got to be a hiatus, Dave? The whole year. I feel like, you know, I feel, I feel like that, that musician who's like, okay, this is my last album forever at the age of like 27. And you're like, why do you have to... Why like, do you got to call it retirement? You know? Yeah. Why do you have to just like 
like close yourself off I, I just feel forever. I feel committed you know what about the Sunday of Longitude officially the gentleman of the road is that the Crowden, Mumford and Sons yeah that's the Mumford and Sons if I was going to go to Longitude thing. it would be for the weekend as in the art, the artist, not the entire weekend of the festival, because that would absolutely. Be, uh, <laughs> oh, the, okay. Yeah. Able, it, able. Is it not a festival <laughs> if you don't stay overnight or go for two days? Is that what we're <sighs> saying? I think if I just go round the corner from where I live to see Doesn't feel like a, a few acts, you know, like it feels like I'm going to a concert. But if I go the whole weekend, then granted, even if I don't stay on site. I think you got a tenuous argument, but I will, oh, it's very, I will, yeah, I will like, back like, it up. That's you, actually, that's why I'm keeping this going, Selena, because it's the tenuousness of this whole thing that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find new loopholes in which to not have fun. You're the only <laughs> one policing this boundary you've created, and you're the only, only one testing I'm, it, too. I'm, I'm convinced that people care, man. <laughs> but do people care about Michael Jackson movies? Because they, there's a couple coming out, and I, I, I'm fascinated by this, because one of them is by Lifetime TV. Have you guys ever seen a Lifetime movie? Oh, I've of course, never yeah. properly watched one. They're like Hallmark Channel movie level of bad. Like, I like. Did you see the Thirty Rock parody of one? No. It was like a shark ate my face it's and gave like, me a new face. Yeah, it's stuff like that. Like it's really cheap and it's got actors that you either have never seen before or you're like, oh no, they fall on hard times. What are they doing? Like someone like Melissa Joan Hart might turn up and one them, and you're like, come on, surely you got that Supreme the Teenage Witch money still coming in? I think and, Amy Huberman was in one, wasn't she? Was she? She was in an an Irish. Leprechaun type one, oh my I believe. God. And she's like, I think it was lifetime. Cool. That's, oh no, that's but so she cool. survived. It was years ago. Mm-hmm. I suppose. I mean, I guess you know you got to pay the rent. But like, they're always. I always enjoy when they do stuff like this. That when they have like a very like a, a celebrity so massive that everyone knows what they look like and everyone knows who they are, and they somehow will contrive to get it wrong. I believe Joseph Fiennes was cast recently as Michael Jackson. In some right, yeah, that one got scrapped. They, they scrapped yeah. that pretty sharpish although they got to the point where they took a photo of him and issued it which mm, yeah, is the, why it the ended up getting scrapped, scrapped it, yeah. like, it, it boggles my mind how it ever gets beyond like someone in a room going I've got just the idea and I've got just the man for this and, and that wasn't a straight up biopic either that was a road buddy movie with Michael Jackson Liz Taylor and Mar- Marlon Brando I think again they need an Irish mammy to go into like every <laughs> Hollywood board mo- room meeting and just be like come on guys I mean this crack is just not on. Like, <laughs> I, I did you just watch the trailer for the Lifetime Michael Jackson one? No, did you? Yes, I did. And is it as good as I'm hoping it will be? Um, what I thought that was potentially interesting, it's based on the two, the book by the two bodyguards, Michael Jackson's two bodyguards. Okay. Um. So I thought, you know, if I was going to be interested in a Michael Jackson movie, I would probably like to see one where Michael Jackson is, you know, not the focus. Like he's, sort of on the fringe of it and it's more about like an interesting situation that happened around him and his enormous fame so if it had focused maybe on the bodyguards and their story I thought that could have been cool but it doesn't by the looks of things and I just think with Michael Jackson it's just going to be so hard to portray his appearance yeah you know to get his appearance across on screen I mean you could say the same of Marla Monroe or lots of big stars but for Michael Jackson given how much his appearance changed and like how much controversy there was around that whole thing I think it's just a do not go there he's zone. being played by a professional impersonator though I kind of thought that was cool that they were giving him a shot because he's he he probably has like the voice down mm. and the well, moves so. down you know 
But yeah, no, it doesn't look like anything I would ever want to watch, unfortunately. It's called Michael Jackson Searching for Neverland. I, l- I love that subtitle. The whole point of this, though, is that the Michael Jackson estate has essentially come out and said, we're not authorizing any of this, we're not related to any of this, and we don't want to give permission to the other unannounced projects that, that are happening unless they're their own, which they have their own in development as well. It just sounds like we're getting a glut of Michael Jackson movies at a strange time. Like, it's not even like an anniversary year or anything like that, and... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm ready for the Michael Jackson cinematic universe. To uh, <laughs> I like the sound of the other one though, the one that was on the top of the blacklist. Oh, is it the Netflix one? Yeah. yeah. So it's from an the- animated movie. It's the story of Michael Jackson told from the perspective of Bubbles, mm-hmm. and it sounds so crazy that it might actually be quite sweet and funny. Bubbles being his pet monkey. His pet monkey, of course. I presume everyone is intimate with Bubbles. Oh, who no? knows? You know, like, 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 you know, always assume that the listener might not know. <laughs> no offense, listener, but you know, you just might not know. But yeah, at one point they apparently had uh, Taika Waititi, I believe, who is who did um, Hunt for the Wilder People and is helming the new Thor movie, which looks all right, I suppose, if you're into Marvel. Um, I don't know if he's still possibly attached because I think his name has gotten quite a lot bigger since, but I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, you're right. If they're going to do something wild, like do something yeah. wild. But that's a bit much, isn't it? The perspective of his monkey. Well, it's so it's so bonkers that it has to be good. Do you not think? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, granted, I have been talking about my love for Twin Peaks, which is Lynch in full creative control moment uh, at the moment. So it's like, like I just think if you were a writer and you had this idea and you made it to the point where the script was a real thing on paper that you uploaded to this website, the blacklist, and people voted up and down or whatever, and it topped the black blacklist in I think 2015. Hmm. If you even got to the point where you'd written this script, it would have to be good. Like, there would have to be some kind of magical nugget in there that you found. So crazy, it just might work. I'm not even ready to watch a Michael Jackson. I mean, it's only been eight years. I I don't know. There's so much sadness in his personal story and so many facets to it. I don't know if any any kind of narrative form would be rewarding enough to I struggle with bi- his life. I, I find that I struggle with biopics in general. I mean like like cuz a lot of, as Cena kind of points out a lot of it comes down to how like what like getting like getting the the look right. I mean like like mm-hmm. instantly. Cuz you can't really like I mean it's one thing to like take a novel and cast your leading like uh, male or female part and they could look totally different or even like a real life situation like you see that all the time. You see like you know someone who might have done something heroic gets cast as Zac Efron or whatever. Sure. But if the person is so well known and they like it just becomes this kind of weird thing of like oh I don't know like this person might look the part but can they act it I kind of would agree with you as well George and as much as there is a melancholy there and you know you don't really like to see someone exploited in the wake of their death but I guess money is there to be made before we get on to songs of the week I was actually at one point looking in news stories because a lot of people were giving out about Katy Perry again I feel like she's become this kind of weird like I don't know uh, poster girl for everything wrong with pop music at the moment people she's had a weird week. But this is the thing. I mean, like, like I mean, like, is it just me, or is there like a movement against Katy Perry? Like, people, are, everyone's just accusing her of cultural appropriation and just like doing the wrong thing at every turn. And I'm just like, like, I, I found myself seeing so much of this on Twitter that I was like, oh, there must have been something gigantic about this. I think she was on SNL with Migos, and people weren't happy about that. So I was kind of like waiting to find all these think pieces. So all I'm going to say for now is, I think they're coming. I think people are coming for Katy Perry. And watch this space because I was shocked. Like when I w- it's almost like there's just a cycle of haters hating on female pop stars, and like Taylor Swift's been so absent mm. uh, post Tiddle Swift that 
you know, people need someone to hate on. So Katy Perry's around. I think some of the criticisms are valid, but I also have a lot of time for her. I think she's a very charming personality. I think she has a lot of people on the internet who are, who are actually worried about the state of her mental health right now. But like, that's is that the internet being the internet, or is that actually? Of course, I mean, valid. If you're on the internet, you're pretty much reading in reading too much into people all the time. Yeah. But for, um, for what was I going to say there? Yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for her, and I am genuinely, genuinely curious to see what happens next with her. Yeah, I will say that Roar is a belter, even if it took me a long time to get around to it. No, and, uh, it is. No, it's great. It's great. It's also great when you're running. You feel very empowered. No? To be continued. <laughs> and we'll always have Left Shark, but we'll also have our songs of the week this week. Coming back uh, pretty much on the day of release of this podcast, so I hope you listen to us first. James Vincent McMorrow has announced his surprise album, and here is the lead single. It's called True Care. title track of his new surprise record he only put out an album last summer which is the last time we had George on the show for <laughs> We Move now you and I were both kind of like somewhat disappointed by that one uh, I was particularly disappointed by it because the lead up to it he penned this very personal confessional piece about how he would he'd hidden behind things before and now no more he was going to step out of his comfort zone and show us the real him and as it turns out the real him was a good James Vincent McMorrow album which didn't sound all that different however uh, this True Care is pretty much what I wanted from that album and I hope that the rest of the album goes in the same vein I've read one review of it uh, just now actually in which uh, apparently he quote brilliantly flouts convention so I hope that's the case because I've always taught him to be an interesting artist when he colours outside the lines what did you guys think of this? As you say I was on the last time he released an album so I wasn't aware that he had a new one out and so I wasn't considering this as a, a lead single and in that context I'm disappointed because um, I was going to say, if it was just like a throwaway track that he's just releasing between albums, I think, yeah, that's grand. But I don't know. I don't know about this. Um, I will say that his songs will always have a high floor because his voice is so flawless and so powerful. But I wasn't that taken with it. It reminded me a bit of Dirty Projectors, which I take as a compliment. Um, I don't have a lot more to say about it, really. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Um I'm kind of the same as you, Dave. Like, I love James, Vince McMorrow, and I kind of started off with his first album thinking, oh, this is so nice, but I feel like there's more to him. Like, there's a more diverse kind of exploration of genre, let's say. And I think he's given us that in the meantime. Like, in little doses, he hasn't gone, like, crazy experimental mm. or anything. Um, and every time he does, I really enjoy that. And I think... This song suggests that we're going to see a little bit of experimentation as well on this album. Um, You know, it's got a nice kind of loose, jazzy intro that's very powerful. Like, as you said, his voice is just flawless. It's got a little bit of an R&B groove later on. Um, Some, like, crazy keys with mad effects on them. Um, Yeah, I like it. I mean, I wouldn't think he's the kind of guy who thinks like radio single you know I'm going yeah. to stick this out there it's probably more meant as an introduction to what's coming next or maybe he doesn't even think that far ahead and he just goes 
this song is going to be the first taster. But I have read that he he said that it's a much going to be a much looser album, and he didn't obsess so much about the sound and the production. And yeah, I mean, I kind of am always interested in what he puts out, and nine times out of ten, I really like it, and I do like this. I, so, yeah, no, no, I don't think he's put it all together yet on an album. I think if you took the best from his last, you know, his first three albums, and I assume this one too, you would have a strong album. I don't think I've been over overwhelmed by how good an album of his is altogether. But um, yeah, I'm really hoping he puts it all together because um, I think he might though with this. I mean, like, I know I'm, I'm basing a lot on you know a few minutes of music here, but I was I liked just how tonally different it sounded from We Move, and I do think We Move is a good album. I know I like kind of had criticisms of it, but I think it is a fine record. But ultimately because I wanted so much more from it and like that can be a problem that can be a problem with the critic where it's not you know I, I'm, I'm paying attention to what this isn't rather than what it is mm-hmm. but with this one I'm like oh cool I mean like it's not just more of the same and it feels like if this is him being a bit looser well then that looser like that looseness might actually be like oh cool like he he doesn't really have masters to serve here apart from himself and I think that would be great I mean I agree with you Selena that I don't think he's a cynical writer and I think that a song like Rising Water which trailed the previous record does the job of being a radio friendly single while also being a really good song and I've talked to him before I actually interviewed him last summer when that record came out and he's very interesting to talk to very laid back cool guy and seems quite in command of what he's doing so I'm glad that like if this is even a folly for him like then that, that it sounds like this I mean you kind of mentioned Dirty Projectors I got a bit of James Blake off this I think that's a common touch, yeah, touchstone for him, really. I mean, the sparse kind of acoustics with those kind of Wurlitzer keys. I mean, that seems like a a path he's trodden down before, kind of. It's interesting what you say about critics kind of like stomping their feet a little bit and being like, this isn't what I wanted, though. <laughs> um, because like my relationship to his music is that I, like, I just really personally love it and I would listen to it regularly. And even like I've... I'm so guilty of like, like I follow him on Twitter and I think like, like three years ago he was tweeting a lot about D'Angelo and I'm like, right, okay, let's get D'Angelo on your next album. Like, let's get like a bit of that flavor on there. And I'm like trying to like micromanage him with my mind, which I'm sure he doesn't need. Um, So yeah, like if I try to put my objective hat on, I do think it's a really nice song and it's not trying to be any one thing and it does sound like it was made with a very open mind yeah absolutely i should point out uh i think selena murphy is the biggest d'angelo fan not just that i know but in the entire world i i would i would love to think that that's true i've just imagined james vince mcmorrow trying to do the untitled video so thank you for putting that image in my <laughs> wow, that is quite the image <laughs> sorry uh, james we'll keep it experimental with our next track this is annie defranco featuring justin vernon of bonnie Iver fame the song is called zizzing It's an interesting song title and an interesting song. I didn't quite know what to expect from this. I must confess, I don't quite know Annie DeFranco apart from a name that I keep seeing and one that I feel like I should probably explore a bit more. 
I really enjoyed this one. Um, this felt like a, a multi- multitude of kind of disparate parts and kind of cogs and gears just kind of finding themselves and working together. I like the usage of Justin Vernon as well. It's not too showy. You could almost be for, forgiven for forgetting that he's there. He doesn't overshadow it whatsoever. Uh, this is, yeah, it's like kind of like a like a, a clockwork kind of procession of uh, of sounds and kind of oddities. And I, I really, really like this one. I will say that listening to it on a really hot day when you're trying to tune into it uh, is, is a bit difficult. Uh, I, I'm, I've never had that before with a song. Where the weather <laughs> I'm not used to experiencing has, sunlight. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, experiencing, like, not, I'm not used to like sweltering while like trying to also work out the, the nicheness of an avant-garde song. But uh, so that's a new one for me. So thanks, Annie. No, I thought this was cool. Yeah, I really liked it. I got some kind of Yellow House era grizzly bear from it. I got Joanna Newsom. Speaking of Twin Peaks, I also got that kind of jazzy, slinky, but menacing cadence that you get from Audrey Horn's theme. So, oh, sure. Yeah, so I, I really liked it. And you're, I think you're right to say that uh, Justin Vernon doesn't overpower it. I kind of forgot he was on it at points, but it, it it's it's meandering. You don't know where it's going to go next. It's definitely my favourite of the songs we were given to listen to this week. All right. It must have been really hard for her to like get the balance right because even when I saw like feet Justin Vernon I was like he's got such a distinctive voice that for him to be a feature and even in, on this song he's a featured artist but he's doing kind of a lot of his involvement in it is very obviously backing vocals so I think she got the balance like really like perfect really I mean as good as it could have been because you do feel engaged with her voice and you feel engaged with his voice. Um, she's managed to use him like really well, I think. And yeah, it's a nice track. Yeah, he's a texture on it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think I think when you read the term featuring Justin Vernon, you tend to think, oh, it's Bonnie Vera off the leash. He's going to, you know, let loose of his vocals. He's going to be, he's going to be, you know, put the for- front and centre right by Kanye or Francis on the lights or whoever he's collaborating with. And in this case, he was just... Yeah, as you say, a, back to, a background texture, a background tone that really complemented the whole thing. Yeah, it's good. And with these two tracks as well that we've, that we've done so far, both of them actually make me want to like explore the, the full album. And I've actually had the Annie DeFranco album kind of in my inbox now for about a week or so. Uh, apologies to the PR who sent that to me and I didn't reply to your email. Uh, I'll get around to it, I swear. Uh, I'm really bad at that, by the way. Like, Lessons really in journalism. Responding to emails? From PR is like, 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 this is the thing I've said it before. Oh, you like, don't I mean, have to respond to all of them. But I feel really bad. you got they, a network, Dave. They chase it up. And it's like, like I said this before, it's like, if when I was in school, you tell me that, hey, Dave, one day you will have so much free music that you want to to do with uh, like uh, that you'll genuinely not have time to listen to and it'll be people just sending you free music all the time and you won't even reply to them I'd be like nah man I'm sure I would and I'd listen to the songs I do neither I feel like an ignorant bastard last touch of your roots man but no it's bad it's bad form I will say this though the amount of times I've been offered like guest lists to things in London and the amount of times I've written back I actually live in Dublin and they keep sending me the guest list I mean it's obviously automated fair enough yeah I get a lot of invitations to um, shows at New York Fashion Week and I'm like (laughs) oh great (laughs) That that sounds lovely. Thank you. You got a live stream I can watch. <laughs> you fly me over. Just like, link me the live stream. Yeah, I don't know it's it's a strange strange uh, etiquette situation that we have. A, a real problem, I think. You know, a real first world problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you know keeps us all up at night. I think we're blessed and cursed. <laughs> well, uh, keeping me up at night this year has been my my kind of disdain and my disappointment in the Run the Jewels record, which came out this year. Ooh, I very, agree, yeah. I have very high standards for that band, and I really wasn't quite taken with Run the Jewels 3, which upsets me to this day. And I've had, I've, had, I've had arguments, man. I've had people actually be like, you're fucking wrong. And I'm like, okay, I'm not. But whatever. They were good live, though. All of which is to say... Live at the garden. They are back, alongside Danger Mouse and Big Boy. The song is called Chase Me. Oh. You wanna go? 
Gold dripper, flow flipper, smoke killer, slow zipper, quick temper, temperamental, sharp mental, departmental, tight fella, when wanna be him, when wanna see him, they the type, really be jealous, get your hype, oh Jesus, these niggas is police's, we gon' shower on these pussies, they mamas gon' know Jesus, Junkie Johnny told me money, these niggas should know better, but they monkey, so you got to show junkies, ain't no letter, bad manners, the bad manner do bad things, a bad bitch gave me bomb head. Now this is off uh, Edgar Wright's new movie, which I believe is his first film since Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He was supposed to do Ant-Man. Anyone who has seen, like, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The, world, uh, the World's End, knows he's a... Uh, did he do The World's End? He did, yeah. It, it was, and that would have been after Scott Pilgrim. Was it? Mm-hmm. Well, nonetheless. Um, he's an interesting filmmaker uh, with a hyperkinetic visual style, and I'm looking forward to seeing that back in action this summer in Baby Driver, which looks like a bit of fun. It could be terrible. Who knows? This song is kind of doing the rounds to try and hype up the movie, and I really like this one. Uh, I'm not so sure it's Run the Jewels like, out of their comfort zone. They don't really come out of a comfort zone. They have a comfort zone. They stick to it. They're good at it. But I, I, I like the kind of clashings of styles going on here. At the same time, though, what I would say, and I'm not surprised, especially you see Danger Mouse and anything now, and it's very polished. Like It's very kind of crisp and glossy. And that's kind of the way that he's gone with, with what he's doing. But no, I, I thought this, as a, as a bit of a lark, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, it reminded me of Light Sheets Dale off uh, RTGA2, if, uh, but you have Danger Mouse kind of reining them in. Um, I will say I'm really looking forward to the film as well. Um, it seems like it's a Edgar Wright-directed version of Drive, which, of course, sounds uh, very appealing to me. Um, I don't know what this would soundtrack in a film, though. It doesn't sound like it, it wouldn't be like busy enough or actiony enough for an action montage. End um, credits, I would say. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I'm imagining that's yeah. going to be it. Track two on the end credits. And it just doesn't have that high energy, that kind of rambunctious, angry, I don't know, tone that you expect from an RTJ record. You want them to be this cartoon WWE tag team and it just doesn't reach that level. Uh, and Big Boy was on it and I completely forgot. He, he was, was on, on it. it. Yeah. Even after hearing it? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, kind of... Just Big there Boy for... and Killer Mike sound very similar, I've learned, hmm. just based on this track. Long-time collaborators from the ATL, of course. Yeah. Ah, of course. Um... But if you're going to give give your albums away for free, you got to pick up them checks elsewhere. So uh, look at you, is, look at you pulling back the cynical curtain of the music industry. Did I am here to tell you, Cena. What do you think? Um, I spent like I okay. So I think the movie sounds great. Um, the whole plot is based around um, Ansel Elgort's character, who is a really super young and baby faced um, getaway driver called Baby, and his whole thing is that all of his abilities to drive, you know, fast and furiously are based on the music he listens to while he drives. So he's got some kind of mechanism for, like, timing it to certain things. And apparently there's a bit in the film where, like, um, he doesn't do something at the exact right break in a song and he, like, stops the car and, like, rewinds the track. Like, it sounds really cool. Yeah, it sounds Um, incredible. Yeah, and I mean, some of the stuff that's elsewhere on the soundtrack, like, sounds really cool. Like, it's really like very varied like you know you've got like Martha and the Vandellas John Spencer Blues Explosion which I think is sampled in this track um yeah like some really varied stuff um I think this could be cool if it was used in the movie but I don't think it will be just because the breaks could be used in a kind of creative way um my problem with this one was that while I was listening to it, I just wanted to be listening to Strictly For My Jeeps by Action Bronson, which it's <laughs> the 
the main line like the main lyric is very similar to so I found myself listening kind of halfway through the song and then being like Xing out of it and going to listen to Action Bronson instead, which isn't a great sign. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good track. I, I think, think that's it's fair though. I mean, like, I, I not, think it's disposable enough. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna ever be, you know, in five years' time, go. Oh man, I have to listen to that song right now. It will probably be Action Bronson that yeah. <laughs> evokes that thing in me. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you know, like to treat it as kind of a disposable entity is fine. I mean, like that's not to disparage the song; it's good, but it just mm-hmm. doesn't have that kind of staying power. But uh, well, it remains to be seen if it is used properly in the movie to good effect. But we shall check it out. An album coming out next month that I'm very excited for is the new Vince Staples record. This song is called Big Fish. I was up late night balling, so far from my past misfortune. No sleeping, late nights, no eating, gun squeezing. I'm a real artesian, Ramona. I was round that counter, still down. I'm a North North soldier. G slide, right down Sawyer. When we slide, you won't see morning. Another story of a young black man trying to make it up out that gym. Goddamn, back, back, let me make my bands. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I fucking love Finn Staples I think he's amazing of course of course um, but I've heard about as much of his rapping as I have seen his comedic just completely hilarious interviews oh he's great yeah he's really he's, sharp uh, and funny. Yeah. he's fantastic so I know him as much as a media personality as I do a rapper at this point still so young as well I mean like he brought out that double record summertime 06 a couple of years ago he brought out an EP last year which was also great Prima Donna yeah Prima Donna was really fucking good uh, kind of overlooked I thought and yeah this one's cool this is like I, I, I'm such a sucker for like a sub three minute banger like I'm just like yeah there's so much music to listen to and he's making my job so much easier uh, I love this one, and it kind of he kind of cannibalizes himself with some of the lyrics, you know, which would have appeared on tracks like North North and that kind of stuff, which is fine. I think he's got such relentless command, and I quite like it. It is that thing of like, does it stray into braggadocious territory? Possibly, but there's just something about the way that he can put a flow together that I'm just I'm I'm such a such a sucker for. I expect big things from this album. Yeah, I completely agree. I really like that tight bouncing beat. I think it's a really good palate cleanser, so I don't really mind about uh, cannibalizing of his own lyrics, as you say. I love how he raps, I love how he elongates all the syllables, but still is able to maintain like perfect lockstep rhythm with the beat. Um, he adapts his cadence so well, and as you say, under three minutes, can't beat that, he's just a consummate rapper. And a good reviewer before, yeah, I think he did the Olympics last year, amongst other things. Are you a fan? Yeah, no. Do you um, I, I kind no. of, yeah, worried. No, no, um, I just, you know, have listened in to little bits and pieces over the last sort of two years. And just haven't clung on to him. Like, he's just not someone who I feel like I'm dying to hear more of. Um, now that I've heard this song, maybe I'll go back and listen to Summertime 06. Because I haven't, I've lis- literally only listened to the singles. Um, I do think his voice and the way he uses it is really good and strong. I find his stuff to be a little bit monotonous mm. for my liking. Um, and I find that I mean North North has like such interesting kind of themes and lyrics and this is basically just like here we are all the lads you know, I don't yeah, know what yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah, know yeah, what the message it. of this song is <laughs> not that there has to be a like meaningful profound message in every song but um, this is definitely like a very sort of I guess it's like a vapid that's fair. track yeah. but I will say this um, I in the morning before I exercise I always warm up with like a song and I tried to warm up with one of the other songs on this list and I was like, this is just not doing it for me. And I put this on and it's fun to dance around to at six in the morning in your front room. And I did that earlier. So I'm, I I feel like 
Maybe I will like Vince Staples. Maybe it'll happen for me with this album. Do you exercise at six in the morning? Yep. That's very impressive. Jesus. Busy lives. Not um, not well, don't worry. (laughs) As you can see, not well. I completely get what you're saying. And I think it is coming to the time where he kind of develops beyond you know the themes beyond his origin story and yeah he's how old is he 21 23 like that is incredible you know even though i'm not his biggest fan i do think his sound and his flow was very nicely developed i think he's still got a bit of the benefit of the doubt left from me but i i would agree that i would like to see him progress a bit more in his um in his outlook soon enough and uh look forward to when he actually does that yeah, I mean, I would agree. It is definitely time for him to kind of step up. But then again, I mean, Summertime 06 does have a lot of thematic stuff on it. and I, 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 But like at the same time, this does feel a little bit like almost like we've been, we've been saying with Frank Ocean recently, where it's like a lot of it is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm successful and rich now, and I'm going to tell you about it. So I hope it's not a whole album of that, but we shall see. Now, Stina, I have deliberately kept the last song of the week till the last song of this segment, because... There's just so much to talk about. Uh, recently on the show, we've talked about Harry Styles, and we kind of went through that record. Mm-hmm. So, uh, real quick, what did you think of the Harry Styles album? Um, not something I'm particularly interested in. I think, yeah, I kind of agreed with what you guys said, which is like, he might develop into an artist that I like, mm-hmm. which is about the most positive thing I can say about it. Okay, and what did you think of Zayn's album when it came out? You see, Zayn, like, I would be his album's target market, really. Like, I like his sort of R&B vibe that he's got going on the kind of new R&B thing he does I I liked it a lot George, how are you saying? Uh, I liked Pillow Talk I thought it was a really good song I didn't actually listen to the album uh, Harry the only, I didn't even I have no interest honestly Okay well um, I've got good yeah. news though I've got okay. good news Go because I think we fi- I think the I think the One Direction sensation is just around the corner his name is Liam Payne and this is his debut single. It's called Strip That Down. I'm not changing the way that I used to be. I just want to have fun and get rowdy. Coke and Bacardi, sipping lightly. When I walk inside the party, girls on me. F1 inside Ferrari, six kiss me. Girl, I love it when your body grinds on me. You know I love it when the music stops, but come on, strip that down for me, baby. Now there's a lot of people in the crowd, but only you can dance with me. So put your hands on my body and Swing that down for me, sweetie. You know I love it when the music stops, but come and strip that down for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So featuring Quavo, who I must confess I've never heard of, that is strip it's from Migos. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. He's like the main guy in Migos. I thought the voice was familiar. Well, there you go. That's boy is my face red, especially after hearing such a compelling combination on this track. <laughs> is this the worst pop song that we've heard in a long time? I mean, like, is this the sound of pure cynicism? Is this the sound of nothing? Okay, I haven't listened to Harry Styles. I have read a lot about him and Zayn and their ambitions post One Direction. And I get, you know, you want to evolve beyond that template that's been set for you or whatever. But to leave the band and then just, you know, do your best Bieber, Ed Sheeran mishmash with, you know, uh, a phoned-in guest rap on top, that does not seem rewarding to me. I was just thinking, what is he doing? He mentioned Ed Sheeran. We know that you're a fan of Shape of You. Are you still? one song. Are you still a fan of that song? Yeah, that's my go-to morning warm-up song, pretty much still, months later. Ed Sheeran and then uh, Vince Staples. 
Yeah. It's a good combination. So <laughs> Perfect. I can't guess because, you know, you often surprise me. You liked that Krista Berg record we did in the revisit. Yeah. And I'm an out and proud fan of Krista Berg's 1984 album, Man on the Line. <laughs> so not a lot of people can say that. Fantastic cover. So Strip That Down by Liam Payne. What's the verdict? I think it's just... God, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to be super mean about it, but I really didn't like it. I really don't think there's any substance to it. Um, it's written by Ed Sheeran. Uh, like the minute I it got to the chorus on my first listen, I was like, I wonder did Ed Sheeran write this? Well, I do know that he's worked with One Direction and all those ads before. Um, I think it's the closest to a One Direction album track or One Direction material that any of the lads have released. It is quite similar to what they were doing as a group compared to what the other four lads have done. And all four lads have put out a song now, at least. Um, and I mean, I I used to, back in the day, I used to be um, assigned the One Direction um, albums to review and I didn't dislike them. They were always a good kind of solid three out of five for me. Um, and this... Like if I was if this was on a One Direction album, I'd be calling this out as the worst song on it because I do feel it's very weak. Um, how minimal the production is, yeah. it's just baffling to me because yeah, yeah. it really needs something else. I think like I don't know what it needs. I mean, it could be anything. They could just give it like a crazy ass bass or put some horns in. I mean, if you told me that Liam Payne's like debut single would be him kind of doing like a kind of justified era Justin Timberlake thing I would be like brilliant I'm <laughs> totally on board with that and I think he's he, he has a bit of that energy but like a very kind of like weak version of that um Lyrically, it's a bit of a mess. Lyrically, well. it's strange. He's got that thing where like, it's a refrain where he's like, "I used to be in one D, now I'm free," and you're just, just like, "Want to go in the club and get rowdy?" It's like, wait, it was like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, mate." It's like, yeah, you're in a boy band for a few years, and maybe it was tough going at times, but like, you know, you made your money, you made your name. Yeah, it's not. The, it wasn't prison. It feels yeah. soulless. I think that's yes, the best way it to really describe does. it. Like he wasn't present mm. when he was writing, recording, making it, and that's maybe a bit mean, but. I just didn't get any sense of any excitement on anyone's part. Ed Sheeran's, his producer, anything. As you say, like, but going on from that point, it sounds like he's had the least invested in him by his record label. I, th- I bet Harry has a lot, a big team with him. I bet Zayn has, you know, all the best songwriters. And this, as you say, is just bare bones. The, produ- the production isn't great. The lyrics are just kind of in the club instructional trek. Um, I expect his solo career to kind of peter out very quickly if this is the kind of thing we're supposed to expect. From it him. always happens with, with like with, with a boy band. There's always one who just falls by the wayside, like if they make a run of it or a girl band or, or whichever else. So this could be him. Unless... I thought it would be Louis. Is he going to do anything though? He did one track with did Steve he? Aoki. Yeah. Oh, I, I and that. Niall Horan has done a track. He's only yeah, like so a few, we've a collected few them all Co- now. Of acoustic numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Did, was that an Interpol cover? He had one called Slow Hands. Was it an Interpol cover? I don't think. Oh, I don't. Think I never. So. Went I don't know. It, so I, I heard the so. other one, and I thought, yeah, all right, that's a thing. You know, he's <laughs> he's trying to develop a niche more so than Liam is. Hmm. Um, I also think this one sounds like Shaggy. It wasn't me. Which oh God, it does. Is not a compliment. I would agree, but I can't remember a lot of it. Worldwide smash. Working from my notes here. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's also, not. Also, I'm one. sorry, but like he's a father now, so yes. like stop talking about like girls grinding Hitting all up, up on you in the club. Now, okay, lyrically he is talking about like 
there's just one girl in the club grinding on him who's like the special girl for him and he doesn't care about all the other girls in the club uh, so maybe that's directed at Cheryl um, but yeah no, yeah, something uncomfortable about that lyrically as well for me and uh, Quavo's appearance he pops up for like 20 seconds and uh, Migos aren't the most lyrically stimulating band in the first place so sorry group in the first place so um, you can imagine what it's like when one of them are phoning it in well, you don't have to imagine. It's right there. Get it onto your Spotify if you want a really bad pop song in your in your early morning exercise routine. Yep. Uh, before we get to our listening guide, which this week is Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I did a pre-record with Colm about that because he's a big fan. I'm a bit of a skeptic, so that's what we talked about. But before we get there, we have an album to review. And uh, I well, I don't know. I mean, like, like, Do I have to apologize for this one? Well, I guess we'll find out. This is Linkin Park, taken from the record One More Life. Okay, so it's Linkin Park, that's Good Goodbye. It was one of the singles that was released on this one. Now, some background, uh, and also something about an outburst at some point. Linkin Park, if you don't know who they are, uh, I suspect that you do, but if you don't, they came along during the new metal craze of kind of 2000-2001. I first encountered them on Top 30 Hits. Remember that Irish TV show? Uh, no. Yeah. You don't yes. remember George? Too young. Where were you? He's when did they come out? He's young. He was outside. Playing yeah, with his nine. trains. You were nine. When Hybrid Theory came out? Yeah. That depresses me so much. I had that album. Uh, so yeah, I heard, heard One Step Closer, which was their calling card on uh, Top 30 Hits. And if I recall correctly, Top 30 Hits uh, on their kind of uh, Chiron had it spelled wrong. It was like Lincoln as an Abe Lincoln Park. Tracked them down though, nonetheless, despite that misinformation. Got <laughs> Hybrid Theory. Fucking loved it. And uh, yes, I may or may not have owned a Lincoln Park hoodie. That I may or may not have worn about twice. What What are you talking about? You're wearing it right now. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Look, in this, in this sweltering heat, <laughs> that's how committed I am. But yeah, they were around at the new metal time, and they kept going. Like it's kind of fascinating to look at a band that survives. But they have they're a very strange band in many respects because if you go through all of their albums, which I wouldn't have subjected you to, don't worry. I have done this, and they change up the style here and there, and they've changed it up to. You know, they've kind of moved with trends here and there. They put out a record that was not quite EDM, but it was going in that direction, and it was also quite religious overtones on it. The last one they put out was The Hunting Party in 2014, and this was their big, mooted return to their roots record, where they got a bit loud again, and it's a bit of a punk, kind of raw, angry guitar record, and it's a complete mess. Now, they are back with One More Light, which, I mean, I find it very hard to kind of describe the sound of this record, because it's very odd. It's quite weightless it sounds like it was made on a on like on a macbook or like a or on logic on, a, on an apple mac or something it's kind of hard sometimes to even discern what instruments are being played and curiously enough with this album chester bennington the amazingly named chester bennington the lead singer from lincoln park uh he's been doing some talking and this isn't even boy, the first time he? boy has he because i mean the first thing that happened was he talked to the enemy a while ago and he said like oh fans who just want hybrid theory you know, should shut the fuck up and just check out what we're all about now. 
And he's kind of doubled down on that to quite some degree with this one. Uh, I kind of couldn't believe what I was seeing because, you know, you read all kinds of promotional guff from a, from, a, from a band or whatever like before an album comes out. It's all about getting noticed and getting headlines and, like, having people talk about you. I understand that. That's part of the game. But he seems to be Lars Ulrich levels of insecure about his band, which I just find bizarre. I mean... Here's the quote. He said, either you like the song or you don't. And if you don't like the song because you hear it and on a knee-jerk reaction, it's like, oh, it doesn't have metal in it, so I don't like it. That's fine. If you're going to be the person who says they made a marketing decision to make this kind of record to make money, you can fucking meet me outside and I will punch you in your fucking mouth because that is the wrong fucking answer. Because guess what? Calling us a seller for that purpose is selling out on your own fucking excuses to why you don't like it. You're a fucking pussy. For any band to take musical risks because you like what you're doing in spite of what you know some people will say they don't like, it doesn't matter if they like it or not. What matters is that you took the chance to do something that you felt was important to you, and that's what being an artist is all about. Oh, shut up. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, but like, did you also write down a quote? Because I also wrote down a different quote. I didn't know. <laughs> Mine is uh, what Chester Bennington said. If you're saying we're doing what we're doing for commercial and monetary reasons, trying to make a success out of some formula, then stab yourself in the face. Wow. I mean... He's 41 years old. Uh, 41 years old. Yeah. He's got kids. <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I probably should have listened to this album without hearing any of that or reading any of that because it just made me eye roll so hard throughout the whole thing. Like, oh, grow up, kid. But then you get to the record, which is like sugary in a lot of places. It has more religious overtones. I'm like, fair enough, if that's what you're into. I'm not going to judge you for that. But I don't know what this album is. Like, especially if it's not commercial-minded, which it clearly is, and if it's not, like, you know, like a a deliberate way of kind of changing things up and going in a direction that will keep people happy and whatever else. But this genuinely feels like that first track, okay, Nobody Can Save Me is the first track on this record. And I swear to God, you listen to that song, and I'm like, I'm expecting there to be a link with this track, which allows me to go onto Linkin Park's cult website. Because <laughs> it just feels like you're about to be baptised or something. I don't quite know what they're going for. Then you got the track with uh, a phoned-in Pushy T and a bizarre verse from Stormzy, which I don't know why that's even there. And it just kind of goes on. Like I mean, like at points, it tries to get a bit like epic and anthemic. And, you know, like, on a track like Battle Symphony, which again, sounds like it should be on some kind of religious recruitment drive. It's the only track I liked. Did you like that one? It's the only one I liked, yeah. But, I, but like, see, like, I don't know if I like or dislike this album. I mean, like, you know, I don't think it's good. No. But I, I think it's bizarre. Like, I, I, find, I, I find this one to be... A, it's very hard to nail down your opinions on it. It's so odd. I, I, get, the, I get the they're selling out. It's a grass for commercial success again. Um, He's going to kill you, man. Watch out. No, I get oh, those complaints. Oh, we're already all dead. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't really that true, because it doesn't feel like it's grasping for the zeitgeist. It doesn't feel especially relevant either. I mean... Listen to it a couple of times. The closest reference I found for it was kind of Owl City, you know, that oh kind my of God. Yeah, Air also, Sats Arena I also rock. wrote down Owl City. <laughs> it's a definite break from the past, but I haven't listened to Linkin Park. The last track I actually listened to of Linkin Park was What I've Done from Minutes to Midnight. That's 10 years Which ago. Which was used in the original Transformers movie, as in the original, as in the live action. That makes so much sense. But yeah. as you say, they, I mean, you ask if people knew Linkin Park, they're a massive band. I mean, Hybrid, Hybrid Theory went diamond. Wow. Sold 10 million copies in the US. They were Jesus. a massive band. Now, I wasn't a fan, but a lot of people my age, they that was a band that meant a lot of them. They had a lot of big... If you're watching Kerrang! in the mid-2000s, you're bound to see Papercut or... I'm, I'm uh, nodding furiously. In the end here, or like, No yeah. More. <laughs> faint. I think I'm faint on single, actually. Faint's a belter. Faint. They have a few good songs, but 
like, I, was, I have a weird soft spot for them because you know they were always they were always maligned. Like they actually were always. If you can imagine something as hilarious as the new metal community being precious about things, uh, Linkin Park were like kind of like the band that people were like, no, no, they're manufactured, man. And it was like, who cares if they are or if they aren't? They claim that they aren't. I don't care. But like. They're the, they they were like the not cool new metal band. Imagine how uncool you have to be. They are literally <laughs> the biggest band this century. They're massive. If you think if you're talking about their commercial peers, you're thinking U2, Metallica, you're thinking Coldplay, Green Day. They're literally that big and yet they're still kind of a footnote in how we think of music history these days. Yeah. Strange. And maybe that's fair because they're such a strange weightless band. They don't quite connect and I guess they have their hardcore fans, but they're just there like you know like, like like some bands are just there and they hang on and obviously they have enough of a fan base to keep going but i don't know what they wanted to accomplish with this record because if you even look at the title track which sensitive dave right wanted to love that song i wanted to love that song i would love to meet sensitive dave one day no you wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> he's he's very annoying. oh i think i better once on a night oh, out <laughs> you've, definitely, oh, you've definitely met him on a night out for sure yeah yeah um so <laughs> what i would say though is that song though i was like Okay, this is the title track. It's the penultimate song. Hey, it's it, this, this album, by the way, has 10 tracks. So, you know, that's a point. Neat. Yeah, That's a neat. point. Oh, it's no tight. No encore brevity rule adhered to. I love it. But this song, One More Light, I'm like, listen to it, I'm listening to it, I'm listening to it, I'm listening to it again at different times, like, you know, like, like headphones in the dark situation, like going to bed, I should point out. I wasn't like trying to stage some kind of weird ritual or anything. But yeah, the album had that much of an effect on me. I'm, I'm signed up to whatever they've got going on behind the scenes. And I was like, oh, like, I know what you're going for here. And, you know, there are nice kind of ideas in it and even the sentiment is nice like you know like like it's trying to talk about death and how it can matter and how you keep people alive and that kind of stuff but i just feel like i'm being sold something i don't know i like i like, like I, I i tried to give this album a lot less cynicism than i would normally apply to a lot of records and i just found myself being like well that was a thing that was an album and that was you know it's short it's 35 minutes but it yeah. feels long if you think of their signature songs their signature albums it- even even from a distance, you could tell they were impassioned and there was a lot of sincerity and a lot of pain in there. But this just sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like they got the group together to just knock out a few tracks. It's it's very distant, very foggy. Everything is very restrained and subdued. There's no none of that energy or, or passion that you associate with early Linkin Park. And um, yeah, it just seems like kind of identical emo arena rock to me. It's very... It's very just, you know, knocking out the jams. Even the way it closes, like it closes with a song called Sharp Edges, which feels like a hybrid of like, you know, Charlie Puth and Mumford and Sons or something. And again, that's a song that appears to be about self-harm. You're like, I don't know what I'm listening to. I don't know what the message is. I don't know why they're going in this direction. I don't know why Chester Bennington is either so committed to this that he feels incredibly defensive mm-hmm. or he's not committed to it. And is that's why he's so insecure. It's kind of like his reaction has been more fascinating because even like, where is his reaction coming from? Are people just like tweeting at him being like, be more like the old Lincoln Park and he just had enough? It's so weird. He probably read like one comment and went, (laughs) okay, that's the, you know, you you know, there's always one comment, one negative comment that just sticks in your craw and you just carry it with you every time. And every time a journalist asks him, he's like, I'm going to get that guy who said that I'm no longer cool. (laughs) That comment was written by all the millions of people who bought those first films like it's very hard to pin down this record yeah, yeah. i mean even i said earlier like i was trying to come at it from like an open place where i wasn't thinking you know about the quotes i'd read um from chester bennington and 
even so, even though I I was eye rolling reading those comments, I was also eye rolling listening to this. I like. <laughs> is it the lyrics? Is it the arrangements? I mean, I think this is a pop album. It is. It is. It's like a borderline bubblegum pop. Yeah. You now it's it's very mainstream, very broad. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a song on there that sounds like Coldplay. There's a song on there that sounds like Old Owl City. It's it's really hard to figure out what as a unit it is. It's not really consistent, but yet it is the same genre. It is the same. They're going for the same sound, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I was quite disappointed by uh, when I looked at some of the names who are on the album. So, like, Is Justin Tranter on this? I think mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. So like some of the songs that have been written by the guys who wrote this album are Sia's Chandelier, Lana Del Rey's Video Games, Justin Bieber's Sorry and Ariana Grande's Dangerous Woman. So I would look at that and think there's got to be one or two dynamite songs mm. on here or, you know, even at, at worst, an okay pop album, mm. um, regardless of kind of what the delivery was from the artist. But I just kept thinking if this was a band's first record, I would not be impressed, A, and B, I would be thinking, I'm not sure they're going to last because they're not memorable enough. Yeah, that's fair. Because it's hard to, I mean, they have a couple of like hooks that, you know, have been going around in my head a little bit. Um, that's like the best thing I can say about it, really. It's paper thin. And there isn't, is. there isn't a standard, which is bizarre. You can kind of see through it yeah. somehow. Um, I see what you're saying there. I mean, it reminds me of a couple of weeks ago when Chris Cornell died. Um, a lot of the eulogies from Music Writers uh, kind of mentioned his 2009 album Scream in which he kind of reaches across what's left of that rock pop divide and kind of worked with Timbaland and all these kind of major producers yeah. and I I don't know why they're doing it but they seem deeply uncomfortable with the fact that their fan base is kind of so attached to the, their early music you know the, the music they made at the very start of their career and haven't been able to make sense uh, in terms of you know commercial popularity so I, d- I don't know what you do when you're a band who are so far away from their peak years I mean and you just keep going you just have to do these kind of weird unexpected things to keep yourself in the game I guess yeah um, it's a strange game that they're in though I, d- I don't know where they go from here I didn't quite know where they went from the last record it was a hard reset I mean my heart goes out to you Linkin Park stands I suppose it is kind of cruel when you think of like most people who make music or any kind of art, you kind of assume that like they start off and everything they do is kind of crap for a while and eventually they get through their crap phase and things finally pay off 10,000 hours later and this seems to be like that in reverse. And I know like people say yeah. that a lot and that happens a lot, but it does seem kind of like they're just, they're like, okay, each album we're going to throw ourselves into this one niche that we've invented for ourselves because Owl City's not a niche, let's face it. <laughs> um, and it's just not working every time. And I don't know, maybe they need a proper reset button and they need to just be able to make music without worrying about what fans are going to think or worrying about can this album support a tour or can I get new fans? Maybe they need to fire their biz, like their business manager and just like completely separate themselves from music for a while and like reset how you recounted there that sounds to me like the strokes what do you do when you when you've made the best music of your Mm -hmm. career in the first couple of years you're just just you're like a different band from that point on once you're so far away from your peak do you even recognize yourselves you know and i feel like if that band came to like if i was friends with someone in a band like that i would advise them to do something just completely different like to not try and repeat what they'd done before because 
they possibly have lost the ability to do it and to just, you know, indulge their David Lynch side maybe and <laughs> go a bit wild in one direction or another. Um, but I feel like when Linkin Park are doing that, they're not really going very hard in any direction. Like even this, I feel like they could have made a pop record that was fun. That's the annoying thing. I mean, they, 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 they went hard with The Hunting Party, which is not a good record three years ago. But what I would say is they went hard in this kind of raw lads in the garage rocking out type thing okay. and it was you know it was overblown and it was just it was a mess but at least they tried but this yeah the frustrating thing is you're like I think a Linkin, pop, a Linkin Park pop album with you know could be fantastic turns mm. out turns out it isn't which is really disappointing um, what I would say though is uh, number one I'm delighted that I have, I have a podcast in which Linkin Park are compared unironically to The Strokes and David Lynch That's, <laughs> I'm very happy about that and you're also um, when I said Stan there a moment I forgot that the other day Cullum sent me a thing uh, out of the blue about Stan's like if you don't know what Stan is it's you know kind of like hardcore super fan kind of I guess the name comes from the Eminem, Eminem song, song yeah. but there's a Wikipedia entry and uh, this is not to see with Lincoln Park, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, and it says, Celebrities have positively reacted to their stand followings. Notably, English singer-songwriter Jessie J had this to say about her stands. They support me and buy my albums and singles, and they stand outside hotels and they come to shows, and they get tattoos of my lyrics and they cut the hair like me. You have to love your fans. That's why I call them my heartbeats, because without them, I wouldn't be here. Then the next sentence is, In 2012, a stand for Jessie J broke her leg to emulate her own leg injury. The fan tracked down Jessie J's personal address and sent her photograph of the self-inflicted injury. The singer was horrified and decided to increase her security. So there you go. Great stuff. Um, that's why how are, far can you embrace your stands before you get before burnt it gets, it gets out of hand mm. so at the risk of riling up Chester Bennington can we just go back to him because I was reading up on him okay and oh, you, you're see, not done. you see him <laughs> popping up in the music news with whatever bizarre story usually it's like stalker related or something like that and this guy had a very very traumatic past really yeah I mean he was abused as a child was addicted to drugs throughout his teen years and I'm, I know I just cr- I kind of criticise them for making <laughs> their best music at the start of their career, but if you have to access that kind of pain, maybe it's best that you get away from that and you're just making music to make music in the end. I mean, I just hope he's healthy. Yeah, I hope he's healthy as well. And, and at the same time, I mean, like, you know, you make a record like this and you, like I always admire someone who stands by what they're doing. I think he's doing it in a kind of a strange teenage way. Standing so. by your music and threatening to stab people in the face is two different, very different two things. Two very, very different things. Uh, we should qualify for the, for the lawyers that I don't think he threatened to stab anyone in the face, but he certainly encouraged self-infliction of so this is a very grey area that I don't want to get into uh, instead I will get to the score ratings which as I said with each passing week I seem to decry the notion of score ratings uh, ever more I mean five like I mean like like, like it's just perfectly in the middle I, I didn't I didn't dislike this I didn't dislike it at all actually I mean I should say that I think it's perfectly fine background listening but as disposable as music gets and that's what I don't like in music I don't like when music can just be thrown away and I, 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 I could easily throw this away and never listen to it again so five, I guess, guys. Um, as I say, only like one song, Battle so Symphony. One out of ten. kind of stuck in my head. So, um, it's quite literally one out of ten. Yeah, I guess so, if you're taking it literally. I was going to say three, to be nice, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll stick with that, three. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go a four. I mean, there were a couple of moments that stood out to me as like, even when you were talking there about um, Chester Bennington's like, story or history like there's a line where he says I drive myself crazy thinking everything's about me and that like was something that I felt he's trying to be profound I think elsewhere in the album and that actually stuck out as quite self-aware and like a like a very vivid line for me um there's one track that I thought was pretty pleasant and then after that 
I'm kind of out. I'm kind of tapping out of this one. Well, rare the episode that I give the highest score. So uh, another first for the podcast. Going soft. One for completest only, I feel. <laughs> uh, normally at this stage of the podcast, we would offer you alternative things to listening to. But our, this week, our listening guide will take care of that. So uh, it's Bruce Springsteen time. Cullum and I had the chance to talk about this before Cullum jetted off to Norway for a week in the sun. And that sounded like this. Well, we got you before you go off to Norway. Just about snagged. Norway's favourite son. <laughs> now, okay, so this is the listening guide. If you haven't heard the listening guide before on the show, essentially it's as it sounds. We pick an artist or an act and we go through their back catalogue. And uh, so far we've done Bowie, Nine Inch Nails and Prince, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've done any other ones that I'm forgetting. So if you haven't heard those ones, I would recommend going back and checking them out because they're pretty good and pretty comprehensive. Part of the reason that we do a listening guide is just really kind of for people who might be either lapsed fans or might be brand newcomers to an act. And it's kind of one of the reasons why we go with acts who have a lot of work to go with. Now, I'm pretty much going to be playing the role of someone who hasn't quite dabbled right. in the work of this man. So yeah, Bruce Springsteen, I mean like household name for sure. Obviously. Obviously a household name. And also when we, when we were in Hot Press, thanks to our beloved Stuart Clark, a regularly heard name in the office. Bruce, you, you weren't yeah. there. You weren't there, man, when um, Wrecking Ball came out. Right. And the lead single was called We Take Care of Our Own. Yep. And man... Stuart was obsessed with that song. He would play it on repeat. He would play it about 11 times a day, perhaps more, a lot more, definitely. And me and Craig, Craig and I, I should say, sitting in the corner, like scrambling for our headphones, just hearing that like, oh, Christ, here it comes again. So, yeah, I mean, like, Springsteen's a fascinating figure. And I find, like I said before, that I find acts who have just this giant back catalog to be quite intimidating. We all know the hits, and the hits are good. Yeah. But I have to say, I'm not, like, I mean, I'm always wary of saying like the phrase, I'm not a fan, because sure. I feel like there's a negative in that. I have nothing against Bruce Springsteen. I have said before, though, that any anyone who does a three and a half hour gig, come on, mate. But still, where do I start? Okay, I mean, the funny thing about going through Bruce Springsteen's back catalogue is that, you know, obviously he has stuff that's less well known, but he has very little that he's completely abandoned to history. And that's because of his live tours, where he plays everything like steve van zandt once said they have to learn more than 200 songs before they hit the road which is ridiculous the last time the reason i chose to do bruce Springsteen this week is because it's about a year since he played croke park on the river tour and i look back at that one just for the sake of argument and he played 144 different songs during that tour and that wasn't even a particularly long tour so (laughs) so it means that you know when other artists like would have a bit of a switch and then suddenly, you know, that's half of their career left behind. No, Springsteen kind of brings it all with them. Um, and so it means as well that like loads of fans have really like cult favourites. They have songs that they heard live and that are, you know, particularly special to them and blah, blah, blah. But one thing that he doesn't have in common with Prince and Bowie and that is that there is just An insane a, amount of studio albums? Well, there's... A fair whack, like, yeah, it's not quite as many as the boys, but I think he's 17 or 18 at this stage, but there is five in together chronologically um, between 1975 and 1984 that are basically, yeah, 
the Bruce Springsteen albums, really. They're the indispensable ones. It so, starts with Born to Run. Well, as before, just, just to kind of get in the way of you for one mm-hmm. second more before I do, and I will shut up, I promise. What I will say is this. We've kind of had it on the listening guide where we've been like, don't necessarily go in chronological order. You don't necessarily need to start at the start of an artist's back catalogue. I mean, like, of course, there are reasons to do so. But with Bruce, you think there's a golden age. And There's definitely a golden age, but like, it's not actually at the very, very start. And in fact, his second album came out the same year as his debut. Um, greetings from Asbury Park. That's decent, but the Wild Innocent the East Street Shuffle is far better. Uh, they were recorded less than a year apart, but it was kind of a big year, so you can see how he matured. Okay, let's go. But then, album number three is Born to Run, and like it's eight tracks. Each one is spectacular. It's got a narrative arc, which most of Springsteen's great albums do. Uh, not only that, it's actually got two narrative arcs on, like, on each side, track one to track four, and then track five to track eight, tell the story. And like it still sounds vital 42 years later, which is saying something. And then after that record, which is the one that kind of broke him, he had like fights with his manager and, you know, really kind of found the politics of music um, for the first time. He also found that he was a bit of a star, which obviously for a blue collar guy like Springsteen was a kind of a weird thing to reconcile. So that's why he came back with Darkness at the Edge of Town, which is an edgier, harder, sort of grittier album. But again, spectacular. And then the two of those probably merging a little bit in The River, which was a double album. So it means it doesn't have to cram everything. But you start to get a bit more of the politics. You still have bangers in there to break it up. Um, Another outstanding record. And then there's one that was maybe slightly maligned at the time, Nebraska, um, which for me just is an album that shows, you know, when you're on a roll, like you just have it. He turned up with demos and tried to flesh them out with the band and they realised that they just worked better as demos. And so it's this like largely acoustic album, utterly extraordinary. And then uh, Born in the USA, which is still his, his best seller and sort of married those ideas of like, you know, good old rock and roll and politics so well that tons of people still to this day have missed the point and think, for instance, that Born in the USA is a nationalistic anthem rather than a fucking protest song. Um, and when you're writing that well and melding those ideas so well that people are actually missing your point, that tells you something about the melodies that you're turning out like. Fair enough, yeah. Or the audience that perhaps swell up those mm-hmm. melodies. So, I mean, out of the five that you mentioned there, yeah. if someone is like, okay, I don't have time for that, right? pick one. Born to Run. Definitely. I mean, it's it's eight tracks again, so it's pretty pretty short and sweet. Um, but every one of them's a banger. Like, it's an extraordinary record. And there's a reason why it kind of catapulted him to where he was. He wrote it to catapult him to where he was. The first two albums hadn't gone well, and they said, "Look, if you can write a single that's going to be a hit, then you can do the third album." And basically, this was it. This was him swinging for the fences and trying to make that album that was going to blow him up. So, in an, in an essence, he quote-unquote sold out, but also kind of found mm-hmm. his character along the a way? A little bit, I suppose, that, yeah. That's kind of unique. Yeah, I mean, like, he'd always kind of had the character because, you know, if you really boil Springsteen down to the basics, it's always like, you know, we have a character. He works a blue-collar job. He may or may not have a woman. <laughs> and then what's going to happen is he's either going to jump in a car or on the back of a bike and find a new life because it's the American dream, baby. How do you sustain that for so or, long, though? Or he's going to be ground into the dust because that's the reality of America. But how do you... Like, I know it's a classic story. It's, it's so relatable. 
you know, it's why uh, I'm bringing everything back to wrestling again. Why Stone Cold Steve Austin was such a big star because everyone's like, oh, I want to kick the shit out of my boss too. Yeah. So he just keeps it simple, and that's that's the secret to it all. Yeah, I mean, like there's something enduring about the whole like you know American dream idea. Like he says, he's taken loads of inspiration from John Steinbeck and stuff like that, who obviously wrote about it extensively. And when you see how much it's still discussed in terms of politics and all the rest of it now, I guess yeah, there's a reason why when you've got such a good grasp on it as Springsteen does seem to have a lot of the time, then yeah, you know there's there's plenty uh plenty plenty to be farmed there. I guess to plenty of mining to be done. Okay, let's not leave out the Springsteen skeptics. Right, the so, duds. The duds. I mean, and, and more importantly, I mean, like, you know, again, I feel like we should whittle out some of the chaff in these sure. listening guides yeah. just, just to not, like, waste anyone's time. So what am I not listening to? Well, on a very, very broad scale, you can often say that if the E Street Band aren't involved, it's probably going to take a step down. Tunnel of Love was technically speaking just Springsteen, even though the E Street Band actually got a credit on that record. And, yeah, that would be an outlier in that regard. But... In 92, he released his first full albums without the band, uh, Human Touch and Lucky Town. They were released the same day. Neither of them was particularly good. Neither of them went over all that well. It kind of sounded like he lost his mojo a little bit. And then you jump way later and he did the Seeger Sessions, which I'm sure some Irish listeners have an affinity for because the live version was actually recorded in Dublin. But it was missing something. But again, I think a large part of that particular record, though, was because it just wasn't Springsteen. You know, and like you said, when you've got that iconic kind of a character as he does, and you've got, you know, your area, your style, your aesthetic, why you'd really go and do someone else's, I'm not sure. I'm struggling to imagine, like, people turning on him, because he seems to have such a close connection with his fans. Like, it's like a real kind of family bonding brotherhood thing. Yeah. Like, did it come close? Like, like was he ever in trouble? No, not not too much, to be honest. I mean, th- there were times definitely during the 90s where he was kind of wandering, but the fans still counted on him to kind of like, you know, to come back and all the rest of it. And there's that story, perhaps apocryphal, I'm not sure, shortly after 9-11 where someone rolled down the window of his car and was like, we need you now, man. I love that story. Yeah, and, you know, within six months he'd written a bunch of new songs, rejigged a couple of ones that he already had for the next album. That became the comeback of the E Street Band for The Rising, um, which I have as one of my underrated albums, actually. I think it's pretty damn good. And, uh, yeah, if, if... those albums in 92 were him losing his mojo. This was kind of him getting it back. So do the Street Band get the credit they deserve? I mean, a lot of people know Steve Van Zandt from The Sopranos and everything. Sure. But like he's Max used to be... Weinberg from Conan O'Brien or Max Weinberg, like whose son is the current Slipknot drummer. Oh, really? Jay Weinberg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because Joey Jordison was turfed out. And I don't know what the story was, but like Jay Weinberg has said, though, he went to... He was asked to go to an audition for a big band, didn't know who it was, and they were going to fly him out. So he was like, fucking wanting nothing else and went to the audition, and it turns out it was Slipknot, and he did really well, and they were like, job's yours if you want it. So he was like, yeah, grand. And he wasn't even like named for a while, because him and the bass player who came in to replace the, the late Paul Gray weren't named to the fans. They were kind of brought in as like de facto session musicians, right. even though they had their own masks and everything. But like, uh, Jay Weinberg is a hell of a drummer. Well, yeah, Max Weinberg's absolutely ridiculous, and it gets even weirder now when you see him live, because obviously, you know, he's not young. No. And... Like, serious hard drumming is physically taxing. And so when you Three see... Three and a half hours a night. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's unreasonable. I've got tired watching those gigs, so God knows what's it like. I'm going to be like playing them. Um, and of course, the late Clarence Clemens had such a huge influence as well. He's a lot more than just a sax solo on Born to Run. Yeah, and of course, now his son Jake is present and correct 
as part of that touring band. So do you think Bruce needs, I mean, like, okay, well, obviously the band brings out the best in him. Yeah. But I mean, like, is it really like that kind of 50-50 split? I, I think it is at this point, to be on honest. On records, yeah. though, as well. Like, I mean, you think of like it totally... Like, well, no, on records, there's a lot more goes to Springsteen, I think. But yeah, I can only imagine that things grow and get fleshed out in the band room because when he's written on his own, he all very often has a tendency to sort of strip things down, I suppose. Occasionally it works. There's an album called The Ghost of Tom Joad, which, again, is one of those underrated records. There's a great Rage Against the Machine cover of that song. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, he's worked with Tom Morello since then as well. Um, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. I was going to ask, what do you think of his kind of latter-day material? I mean, it's hit and miss, frankly. Um, there is one particular miss, uh, which is working on a dream, which I think I saw somebody describe it once, and this is why it would definitely not be recommended. I saw it described once as what non-Springsteen fans think every Bruce Springsteen album sounds like, <laughs> because there's just no nuance whatsoever. It's kind of like, we're in a bar room and we're ready to rock. So why is he writing that kind of thing? If he has the ability to... Like, like has, do you think he's like kind of punched himself out? Uh, there's a little bit of that, I'm sure, yeah. Um... Frankly, I mean, you know, the, the sort of political fury that he had and, and, and the sort of angst of some of his earlier material has, has definitely worn out a little bit. And frankly, I think as well, when he's such a powerful touring musician as he is, maybe his ability to kind of get back to the roots of things has kind of gone down a little bit. Like I say, you know, when Darkness at the Edge of Town, that period was him kind of struggling to marry his success and his roots presumably that only gets harder and harder over time well i don't want to lean on the negative i'm just exploring the man's work because you know it's quite a, mm-hmm. lot of, a lot of work quite a big discography so i guess to boil it down for someone who wants to go away and, and, and listen you reckon the five that you've mentioned yep which again are the five are uh born to run a darkness at the edge of town the river nebraska born in the usa it's a five album nine year run and it's spectacular okay and if the listener is really enjoying those and wants more but knows what to avoid what else is worth checking out if you really want to add to that there's a release from 1998 which is called tracks and it, it like it was essentially kind of a b-sides and demos and blah 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 live tracks collection that sort of thing but it wasn't from that time. It was all taken from around about that sort of mid-70s to mid-80s period where it was songs that basically didn't fit into the record that he happened to be recording at the time or whatever. Um, and some of it's fantastic. I mean, some of it's stronger that want than what made albums along the way. And more of it is just, you know, like I say, if you listen to Born to Run, for instance, and think, God, only eight songs, I could do with a few more of them. Yeah, there's some on this as well. So dig into that. Well, let me ask you this, Cullum. Yes, sir. By way of wrapping up. When you watched Jerry Maguire, did you believe in the love between Jerry Maguire and Dorothy Boyd when Secret Garden played over their lovemaking scene? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that was a single thing to sell me on Springsteen, to be honest. And oh, yeah, of it's course. Provocative moment. Yeah. And listen, the other thing that I would say, obviously, is uh, next time he's in town, and he's always going to be back in town in the next few years. Uh, yeah, go see him live because there truly is nothing like it. It's worth the the extortionate ticket price, is it? Oh, by by a mile. Listen, this is the thing. To be right? fair, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. You do get bang for your buck. Like. You, you get insane bang for your buck. And what's more, I mean, I I don't know if I've ever heard somebody complain about a bad Springsteen show. 
Like, like you can get really? great. I'm sure, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's been one curmudgeon in the room. You can get great shows from other artists, and God knows, you know, I've seen. I think, like, you know, best show I've ever seen was Leonard Cohen, but I saw him twice more, and he wasn't as good. I've seen Bruce Springsteen three times. He was as good every time, and I'm pretty sure that every gig he played in between them was great as well. So yeah, you can pretty much guarantee. And I presume that there's a really good communal atmosphere amongst the fans. Oh, it's kind of insane, to be perfectly honest. It's turned into a religious experience at this stage. (laughs) Um, He is a religious guy, and uh, yeah, he's taken on that preacher role pretty well. Okay, Colm Regan. I'm going to Norway. Enjoy Norway. (laughs) And thanks very much. I'll I'll tell you what, I will check out those five records, and I'll report back. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay, so I will get back to Cullum on that one. I will listen to those records, and I will definitely come in with a full new appraisal of the man, and I'll let you know what I think. For now, though, this is the end of the show. Cena Murphy, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. And also, you're welcome for the endless David Lynch callbacks. It was great. I'm actually, like, I'm I'm trying to grow my hair back in already, because I want to style like David Lynch. He's just so cool, man. He's a very cool guy. There's an amazing profile on David Lynch in GQ from about a month ago, I think, and it's amazing to read all the quotes from all of his cast. He has completely brainwashed them. (laughs) They love him. (laughs) Oh, I think he'd brainwash me. I mean, he already has, and I've never even met the guy. There's an amazing thing where he talks to Sherilyn Fenn, who played Audrey Horn on Twin Peaks, and he keeps referring to her, like, when he talks to her, he dresses her by her full name. And he says to her at one point, like, you know, she said that she was talking to him and she got really emotional about, like, her issues in life and everything. And she started crying. And he said, like, he grabbed her by the arm in a playful way, I presume, or uh, an affectionate way. And he said, you're a mess, Sherilyn Fenn. you got to do transcendental meditation. And <laughs> she does it now and swears by it. So, George, thank you so much for coming in as well. Thank you for having me on this damn fine podcast. There you go. I swear we'll stop talking about Twin Peaks next week. But then Craig's back, so maybe we won't. No, I don't know. it'll never happen. Craig no. on Twin Peaks. It's the Twin Peaks podcast. Okay, so my name is Dave Hannity. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And to play us out this week, former guest of the show, Elaine May, has recently released her EP, The Colour of the Night. It's excellent. I like it so much that I'm going to play a track from it. This is called When I Go, and we'll be back quite soon.
HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.